Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome back to the uh, Vet Tech Cafe, the cafe where perhaps the Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball Players Association negotiated the last collective bargaining agreement to get their season back in order. <laughs> if only. <laughs> yeah, right. If only. We'd like to thank all of you guys for joining today. Um, we know we've got a lot of new listeners, so thank you very much for tuning in. Check out our website, vettechcafe.com, for all of our info, all of our uh, channels, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Check out our Patreon. We've got a few new subscribers there. Thank you very much for all your support. We really, really, really do appreciate all of that. Dave, how's it going out there? That's, we're doing good out here. It is uh, a little getting a little chilly. Uh, mm-hmm. I, was, I was hoping that you know, with baseball season coming up, it would actually start to get warmer. But it's it's still staying stagnant around you know forties and fifties and yeah. You know, I like the warmer weather, but I, I know you do. I saw a big shot of cold air coming for you this weekend. <laughs> I, I appreciate that you checked the weather for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Overnight lows in the single digits in parts of North Carolina. Oof. So get ready, Oof. get ready. <laughs> and, and how was your how was your vacation? Vacation was amazing. We were on a, on Oahu in Honolulu for a week, and actually. I didn't really think about it till last night when we got home, but it was exactly what I needed. Awesome. Good. good a week good, good. away and just, you know, laying on the beach and snorkeling and rum drinks and disconnecting for a little while was really great. Excellent. Was actually uh, planning to meet up with um, our previous guest, Sam Guiling. Oh, she yeah. lives on Oahu and kind of not knowing how Molly was going to feel while we were there, kind of had that um, as a possibility, but then she was feeling great. So we ended up not meeting up. So I'm going to send her students some stickers and buttons and and all of that stuff. But she did give me some great brewery recommendations for while I was there. And and so that was cool to to visit some of those kind of off the beaten path places. So yeah. So Sam, thank you very much. Too bad I didn't get to see you. It's too bad you didn't get to try one of the Sam burgers. I know, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, but thank you very much, Sam, for the recommendation. Sorry, I didn't get to meet you this trip, but maybe next time for sure. Anything else going on, Dave? What did I miss while I was gone? What happened at the cafe? Nothing. We were we were we were open. I was giving away some free coffees for for latte day. I forget what day that was, but. I don't know if that was when you were gone, but I was giving away some free stuff uh, at the Great. cafe. Fantastic. Other than that, not not a whole lot. Um, just kind of holding the fort down and business as usual here. Great, great. Well, we've got a, another great episode for the Caffeinators today. Really excited about this one. Um, we've been working our way through many of the VTS academies really since we started. Yeah. And we've talked to some some amazing people, and we've got another great guest lined up today. And, and it's I, I, probably for you as well, but for me, looking at some of the academies and some of the things that maybe we do in our job to some degree, but not 
as a sole focus. Like I find some of these discussions so fascinating, um, and, and I'm really looking forward today. We have Laurie Ballier coming by from the. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a hard time with this because <laughs> of a recent guest, Lorelai, who was from AVTCP. This is going to be the AVCPT. So Lori <laughs> graduated with a BS in Mor- from Moravian College um, and then got her CVT. Uh, she got the VTS clinical pathology. She was the second person to earn the VTS from wow. that academy. Works at Quakertown Veterinary Clinic, which this is kind of mind-blowing, is a 45-plus doctor practice, seeing large animal, small animal, exotics uh, for a wellness, medical, and emergency visits. Uh, one of those never closes. Dave, <laughs> you and I, you from New England, I lived there yeah. for a time, yeah. you know, through all of the bad weather that they can can get, never closes, but, uh, but does a lot of laboratory work in-house, and that's primarily where we're going to focus our discussion today on clinical pathology. She started their forage lab, which I'm going to have questions about what a forage lab is. <laughs> so we got a lot of great, great things to uh, to discuss today with Lori. So Lori, first of all, thank you very much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe. We really appreciate you taking the time out to, to talk with us about all of this. What can we get you for a cup of coffee? Uh, thank you for having me. And I would love uh, unsweetened iced tea with one Splenda. All right. All right. Done. Coming right up. Coming right up. Um, so if you would, take us through your career path. Kind of what got you into veterinary medicine as a start? Some of the twists and turns or stops and starts along the way, all the way up to what you're doing now. Okay. Well, it is a bit circuitous. I will say that. <laughs> so right out of high school, I went to Moravian College and I wanted to get my bachelor's in biology and chemistry which I did. And my senior year, I was working on what was called an honors project. And at that time, it was the early 80s. So there was no internet. And I wanted to get (laughs) a paper from a a researcher, but it wasn't published yet. So I wrote him and I said, you know, can I have a copy of it before it's published? Because I needed it for my research. He wrote a very nice letter, including the article, but he said, good luck with your circuitous career. And I thought, (laughs) well, I know what I'm doing. I am going from point A to point B to point C, and I I know what I'm doing. Yeah, he was right. (laughs) So after college, I actually got a job at Quakertown Veterinary Clinic. And at that point, it, it wasn't 45 doctors, but it was a few doctors. And I did start their forage analysis lab. I designed and developed it. And you would ask about what it does. And this was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. At that time, there were not many places that would, you know, analyze forage. So what the cows, sheep, anybody, any of the farm animals were eating. So we did a lot of corn silage. We did a lot of hay what the components were in there. So it worked out well because it was a lot of chemistry. So I really liked it. But that was the first time I learned that there was such a thing as a a veterinary technician. Uh, You know, (laughs) I'm blaming my guidance counselors because that would have been a nice thing to know at that point. So I worked a little bit there. So I worked for about two years there, then got married, moved around the country, included working at a chemical manufacturing plant where I was doing QC for them. Then we moved around a little bit more, took some time off while uh, my kids were growing up a little bit, and then I had about eight years off. And then I started working at a, it was a large animal practice, but it was small. It had about one to three doctors. And we did a little bit of 
small animal work. You know, if there were barn cats that needed to be spayed or neutered, you know, we did that kind of stuff. But it was mainly large animal, and I got out into the field, and so that was pretty cool working out there sometimes. But mainly it was in in the office, in the, you know, they had a little lab work there, but not much, writing up a lot of Coggins, things like that. And then I left, oh, while I was there, that's when I went to get my CVT. I had been thinking about it for a while, and there is a local college that has an accredited program. So I went there, and that was the two-year program. And so after that, then I was attending a CE, and a a, um, classmate of mine was there. So we started chatting, and she said, oh, I'm looking for somebody to work in the allergy lab. I'm like, that sounds fun. So I started part-time in in Quakertown's allergy lab, and then the next year, I went full-time working in their main lab and their allergy lab. So from there, let's see, in 2014, I became the laboratory supervisor. And then in 2000, no, 2015, I became the laboratory supervisor. And 2015, later in that year, is when I got my VTS in clinical pathology. So it was a new academy and... That was the second year they gave the exam. Wow. So from there, I'm still at Quaker Town, and I still love what I do. They don't let me out of the lab much, and I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) So do you have much, I don't know how to word this question, do you have a lot of like hands-on animal experience, or are you basically in the lab most of the time? I do not. I've had, previously, I've had some hands-on lab uh, animals, Mm -hmm. but no. We do not handle the animals the way the clinic is set up. All the samples are brought to us. So when I'm hiring people, I make that very clear that we don't handle the animals. Hence, Mm -hmm. there are no cat bites or cat scratches either. (laughs) And sometimes when I walk through the, the wards, I will look to see, oh, okay, well, we were working on Fluffy earlier today. This is actually what Fluffy looks like. Or so sometimes it's nice to make that connection because I'll be like, I've seen your blood. I know what your blood looks like, (laughs) you know, so but no, we don't work on the animals and my crew, we're okay with that. So it's just 100 percent lab work. That's awesome that they allow you to just be specialized and do what you do and not. I feel like so many times in, in large facilities like that. You have this role, but well, we we actually need you over here today, and mm-hmm. it, you know mm-hmm. it, it's it's nice to hear that that you get to do what you're trained to do, what you enjoy doing, and they allow you to thrive in that. So, one of the questions we always like to ask our guests, and, and you're going to have a little bit of a different take on it because you're, I think you're doing something very unique compared to what we what we normally t- talk to people about. So, what is your take on the profession as a whole? Like, what's great about it? What are things that we need to work on? And, and from your viewpoint, uh, being someone that works primarily with la- with laboratory stuff. Well, and you're right because we're sort of insulated in our lab yeah. from a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we are right next to the treatment area. There's a door, but you know, so we can sometimes gauge the mood of what's going on there. And, you know, sometimes I'll see them just going crazy and it's euthanasia day and everything that comes in is mm-hmm. euthanized or, or dies. And it's just, you know, I can see that people, it, t- it does take a toll on them. Just the other day, somebody just said, I, I just got to walk outside for a moment 
and and just regroup. And after about five minutes, she came back in and, and went back. So we are insulated, and, and I will say that. And it has us more of an on an even keel in our life. So there are many days that we just get inundated. I mean, the other day we had 62 fecals come in and, you know, we had to process those, uh, you know, the next day and get get them done and and write up the reports for that. Mm -hmm. So there are times that we are knee deep and just stressing out because we have the doctors, the busier the clinic gets, the busier we get because all the samples are Mm -hmm. funneled to us. So, you know, a lot of times we have eight, doctors seeing appointments plus two or three emergency doctors and then we've got five to six large animal doctors and a couple of specialties working so everything is funneled to us to us and the busier they are then of course the busier we get so then we've got is it done yet is it done yet this is stat this is stat (laughs) and and you're just like okay everything is stat right now and you just got to take a deep (laughs) breath and you know when everything is stat nothing is stat because you're just trying to work with it right but you need to still be accurate because these doctors are basing their diagnosis on it so even though you're stressed out you still can't you, you can't screw up and that's one of the things it's like i want i want the correct results and actually i've i've said that to doctors do you want the results or do you want the correct results because if you want the correct results right. you got to give me an extra minute yeah 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 absolutely so you talked about so kind of getting you know to the meat of where we want to have the discussion here about clinical pathology you talked about i think in school chemistry was a big thing for you is that initially what drew you to to ClinPath or or what kind of lured you in, but then also was there something along the way that was like, I actually really like this and I can do these additional things with it. It can take me these additional places. Like kind of how did you go down that path? Well, a couple of things. First, seventh grade biology class, <laughs> we got to work with microscopes and I, I love scope work. I still love scope work. So it was the initial, you know, swab your cheek and look at a cheek swab and you can see a cheek cell. And I just thought it was really fantastic. And then my biology degree, learned a lot, loved it. Chemistry, my favorite course was the analytical chemistry because it was all lab work. You know, you spent two labs a week in there. So six, seven, eight hours a week and, but it was all it was all playing with your you know instruments and doing lab tests and things like that. So I really enjoyed that part. And then when I went back and got my CVT, I just gravitated to anything that was related to lab work. I was always that person that remembered all those weird things about all that lab stuff, or you know, oh, I'll run it for you because when I did my internships. I even was like, oh, I'll run it for you. I'll, I'll, you know, run it on the machines and stuff like that. So it just, it dovetailed. And then being able to work at Quakertown, and I was the first dedicated lab tech there. So I was the first one that was lab work and that's it. And it was just a match made in heaven. It just, <laughs> it really, it just, it just worked. And I just clicked for you. Yeah. Cool. And did, have you ever, you know, obviously you got your CVT, so you have, you know, all of those skills and everything as your career has evolved. Have you missed 
the patient care side of things that, you know, did you ever do much of that? Do you ever, I mean, obviously you're, you're very happy and fulfilled in what you're doing. Do you miss not utilizing those skills in any way? Honestly, not really, because I enjoy what I'm doing and I see it as puzzle pieces. So I feel I'm providing one of those puzzle pieces or many puzzle pieces. So I don't miss it. Uh, okay, I miss petting little kittens every once in a while. Sure, People sure. know that. And if there's a, <laughs> a kitten nearby, it might end up in my lab coat pocket, you know, so so that part. <laughs> and while, you know, at one point I did think of even becoming a human nurse. This was umpteen years ago, but I just never pursued that. So this this to me just feels like the really the right choice. So I really, I don't miss it. I like to see the animals and I like to know the sure. background of the cases, but the actual hands-on, I'm okay. I'm okay not. Yeah. If they're right there, you can you can kind of fulfill that just by walking through the wards and, and seeing them, but you don't have to actually like, you know, place catheters or, or draw. Do you, do you ever draw the blood? Do they ever have you doing that? No, no. we oh. are a big enough clinic that we don't. Now for my VTS, yes, I had to go and right. draw the blood because there were times that you had to follow the case from start to finish. But it works out well because then we can just focus on the lab work and the other nurses are just drawing their, drawing the blood, doing the samples, whatever they have to do, and, and we're doing our stuff. So it hmm. just works out well. So what does a typical day look like? What types of samples? Do you, obviously, you're doing like CBCs and chemistry profiles and things like that. Um, but do they have you do like cytologies of masses? And you know, Typically, what happens in, in the... A, a practice where you don't have a VTS and ClinPath is the doctor will look at those things. So how much of that is, is actually put on to you to do? Right. We do a lot of stuff in there. So yes, we do look at cytologies and I like taking cytology courses because they involve a microscope. So that <laughs> works out well. And there are some doctors that will look at their own slides, but if it's an FNA coming in, I've been trained and I'm training my other staff so that at least we can look at the slide. We can say, hey, this is a good slide. This is a bad slide. We can say, oh, what's looking there is sort of normal stuff. Or you've got a lot of bacteria in here, you know, some, something like that. Or this is really strange stuff going on in here. And this should be sent out. Certainly, I don't know everything on cytology by any means. But I'm trying to in the lab have more of us look at the cytologies so that the doctors can focus on something else. So mm. if they, you know, they can bring the slide in, Hey, I think it might be this or where's it from, but we can, we can focus on that. So we do some cytologies, but we do, you know, you're right. The typical CBCs, chemistries, urines, fecals, but we only do large animal fecals. Small animal fecals are done by the doctor's assistants the idea there is that they'll get them done right away so that the client can have the results before they even leave. So we yeah, do large yeah. animal fecals, which is plenty. And then we're also <laughs> a USDA certified lab. So we do Coggins. So we'll do Coggins testing in there. And I have two other people that are certified. So now is springtime. And so, you know, we just got 28 and then 30 and then 35. So they're they're starting to roll in. We are also a DEP certified water lab and we will do presence absence on water. And if your next question is going to be, why is a vet clinic doing that? The answer <laughs> is, so about mm, 
40 years ago, probably, one of the vets that worked there, one of the owners at the time, had read a paper that cows that were drinking contaminated water were not producing as much milk as cows that were drinking clean water. So they designed the, the water lab and got a DEP certified. And back then, we used to do a lot of dairy farms so that you know, hey, what it, what is contaminated? What's not? So it has morphed over the years, and now it is mainly either individual clients or restaurants that have to get their water tested. So it's that kind of thing. And rarely do we do barns. So it's morphed mm. over the years. So in addition to that, we also do immunology. So we're, we also do cortisols and progesterones, uh, things like that. And phenobarbs, we will, oh, I'm trying to think. Oh, some micro. We still do some micro work. And more of that is large animal because you've got a cow that has mastitis and they want to know as soon as possible. So we can set it up in the lab and within 24 hours, we at least have an initial idea of what's growing there and another 24 to get uh, the sensitivity. So Hmm. we do that. Those are the basics, but there's other stuff that comes up. And I'm always surprised about how much information you learn about your machines. You know, some days it's just <laughs> you come in and it's like, okay, get me the screwdriver. I got to take this machine apart. And I never thought of myself myself as very handy. But I will say over the years, certain machines, you learn, you know, what they're touchy about and how to do some quick fixes and talking to tech support. So there is that part. And then there's certainly a certain certain amount of QC, QA involved in our daily startups and, and throughout the day. And part of that is just good laboratory practice. But the other part is when a doctor will say, you know, is that result right? You know, then I can say, well, we've, you know, we've checked out the machines. The machines are running correctly. And you know, we just do our best there. So I don't find it boring because I think there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, you can have 10 urine samples and they're all what I call boring. You know, they're all normal. There's no bacteria. And then all of a sudden you start getting something where the UPC is seven. Well, that's a problem. And then you start seeing a lot of uh, transitional cells in there and it just is interesting and you're wondering wow what's going on with this animal just give us like a, an example of like something crazy that has has happened like any wild cases that you've seen that might be fascinating for people that don't do a lot of lab work well i will say the one involved urine and they had come in you know not doing well type of thing we took the urine sample and indeed the upc was high and when i looked at the sediment it was loaded with transitional cells and they all looked bad. I, you know, they all looked like they could be cancerous. I can't diagnose, but they looked awful. And so it was just telling the doctor right away that, wow, this this seems to be the problem because they didn't know what it was. They were just doing a full workup. So that part I found interesting. And there was another case that it the animal it was a dog had come in for just the annual health checkup, and we did, you know, urine, CB, uh, CBC, and chemistry, and the animal was doing okay, maybe a couple issues, and I looked at the urine, and it was full of ketones, and then, you know, there was glucose, there was ketones, and, and then I looked at the chemistry, and, you know, we had an animal in, um, in diabetic ketoacidosis here, so 
you know, I'm informing the doctor as soon as I can. Look, you, you guys got to work on this this animal because this is what the issue is here. So those two cases stand out in addition to, you know, actually seeing microfilaria on a heartworm dog or something that it's like, oh, look, this is the problem. Right. Right. Yeah. Never underestimate the value of a urinalysis. I feel like in veterinary medicine, probably because in many cases, the difficulty obtaining samples, but I feel like in so many cases, it's just written off as part of a, a full workup. Yeah, we'll do full blood panel in UA. Well, we couldn't get urine. Okay, well, we'll see what the blood work shows. And Yeah, yeah. So thinking about where you are at, at, at Quaker Town, obviously, I've never been there, but I imagine it to be a pretty big place probably a pretty unique kind of hospital to have a laboratory set up like what you're in. So for a, mm -hmm. a technician that might be very interested in clinical pathology, maybe even wants to get their VTS at some point, like what kind of opportunities are out there in terms of do other hospitals like yours exist? Do, you know, do, have you been able to network and make colleagues that are in your kind of same spot and outside of, of where you are, of where you are, is that a, is that a reality? It, it is, you know, and I will say I'm fortunate. We have a lot of lab work here and, but there are other places that are developing in-house labs because nowadays there are a lot of instruments that can provide a lot of, it's, they're easy machines. They don't take up a huge footprint and they are relatively cost-effective. I don't want to say inexpensive, but at mm. least cost-effective. So if you're trying to do any kind of emergency work or certainly medical work, you know, that's one thing that will make a practice stand out. If you can run those that and get that information right away. So there are some clinics out there that do that. There are some clinics that don't. So as I'm talking to my kids in school, I find out that, okay, ours don't do anything. They do that. But you can also work at reference laboratories. I found that uh, a couple of the universities have hired uh, VTSs because they, they have them in their ClinPath department. Uh, certainly there's teaching and there's other places. Now, I have not pursued uh, some of the pharmaceutical companies, but I would think that there there's also opportunities yeah. there. So there are several places. Sometimes you got you to gotta look a little yeah. bit. It is not sure. you know the most common thing. Because not a lot of people like lab work. It's just, you know, I don't understand it, but because I think it's the best thing. But not everybody wants to work in the lab. So, and because it's a mystery to some people, including some doctors, they don't, they don't want to deal with it. Now, you have some doctors that absolutely love it and think it's great. And then others that, oh, let's just send it out because I have no idea what I'm doing. So there are there are possibilities out there and you just you need to sort of look around yeah. for for what you want right. to do. Absolutely. And you can always say to your if you're working at a place, hey, you know, we could run this in in house. And I've had some of my students say, oh, I suggested I could look at the blood smear before mm -hmm. we send it out and, and try to get some yeah. ideas. So yeah. sometimes if you little, you know, push or nudge, you can yeah, get that. for sure. Well, I think that, that also depends on the clinic, too, right? Yeah, you know, one of the the first GP that I worked at, we had that was a seven doctor practice, I think, and you know that was part of the schedule is that somebody was scheduled in the lab because we had enough work to have somebody assigned to the lab. Um, but other practice I've worked in, you know, they don't even do like in house lab; they send everything out. So, right. I, you know, it, it really depends yeah. on where you're working if you want to pursue yeah. that. I think right, absolutely. You know, uh, Dave, when you and I were going through the VTS process, the emergency clinic that I 
was working at, uh, we were only overnights and weekends when, you know, we didn't really have the opportunity to send a lot of stuff to the lab, obviously like pathology or things that we did, but you know, the blood smears or, uh, cross matches or, you know, cytology, yeah, we yeah. did a lot of that in house. And, and Lori, you were talking about microscopy. Like I, I, I loved it. I, I don't think I loved it enough to to go down like a VTS path for it. But a lot of that stuff funneled to me because I actually really enjoyed it as well. And it's one of those things, yeah. I think the more you do it, the more you get comfortable with it, the more you see the normal, the more the abnormal stands out. And that was something I always really enjoyed in, in emergency practice. Obviously we didn't do it, you know, a ton and it was a lot of the same things, urine sediments and that. But I think it's one of those skills you learn in school, but now with clinical labs or, or reference labs being so readily available. It's a skill a lot of people just don't actually get to ever apply in, in, in a lot of cases. And right. it's one of those, it's, it's almost like a dying art for a lot of people, unfortunately, I think. It is. And I will add to that, that it's also good to know the basics because if your CDC sheet mm -hmm. goes down, well, what can you do? What kind of information can you provide to the doctor without a CBC machine. There's a lot of information, but it's old school and you've got to get out your, you know, okay, what are the formulas mm -hmm. and things like that? But there's a lot of information. And that's when I'm teaching, that's one of the things that I talk about is that you learn the basics and then you can move to the machines, but you still need to know the right. basics. So, mm -hmm. you know, with urine, with urine readers right now, there's, we have a urine strip reader. And when we first got it, I thought it was silly. I really did. But I did it, too. It's wonderful. I'm like, I mean, I'm like it's the, it's the easiest part of the of a year analysis is the strip, right? Right. But it eliminates analytical errors and post analytical errors. That's true. And because of that, that's great. So that that's why I do like it because it eliminates those errors. But you still have to know how to use that strip because, you know, the power goes out. Right. You, well, we have a generator, but you still can do a dipstick by hand and have to know how to do that. So it's good to know. Absolutely. You know, it, even if you, you know, like you said, can't remember the formulas mm -hmm. to calculate a white blood cell count or whatever, if you do a blood a blood film and it's a slide full of lymphocytes, you, you like, sure, Maybe you don't get an accurate count, still needs to go out to the lab to be reviewed by a pathologist, but you still have some really good information that like, hey, there, there's, something's not right in here. Like, this is the road we need to go down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we, we keep going, and, and I, I feel I was going down a rabbit hole very, <laughs> yes. very quickly here. Uh, why don't we take our, our ad break here and we'll, we'll be back right after the break, guys. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. 
If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe where the immersion oil is always cleaned <laughs> off the lens. Probably because we don't have many many veterinarians in this in this cafe, um, and I'm sure I'm going to get crap for that because Robin listens and she'll say I always wipe my lens off. Anyways, so we just had our ad for uh, BetterHelp.com. Uh, Lori, how do you manage your mental health? I, I realize the stresses that you have in your job are probably different than what most of our listeners have. So, is there is there something that you do? Like, how do you get away from veterinary medicine? I would imagine it's a little bit easier to to leave work at work than you know somebody that's dealing with uh, you know critical patients. Uh, so, how do you, how do you manage your mental health? Uh, a couple different things. One, while I do get away from work, I do get emails and texts that I will respond to because, Mm -hmm. oh, this Mm -hmm. machine went down or what about this issue or something like that because we never close. So there's always stuff going on. But in lieu of that, or except for that, I do, you know, I will come home and pet my cats because I (laughs) haven't seen them all day. So for me, those cats are stress uh, relievers. That's for certain. I do like to, I, I listen to a lot of books on tape. I drive almost an hour to work, so I listen to a lot of books on tape. So that is one way for me that I can just escape and I don't have to think about work. I do like to do some cooking during the spring when it's crazy busy. I don't do that much. And then during the summer, I do like to get outside, go swimming, and just sometimes just hang out with friends or just take some downtime and quite honestly... Have a scotch at night and go. just watch Hogan's Heroes or something. So uh, sometimes that is just what's called. Yeah, absolutely. For most of our listeners, Hogan's Heroes was a show that was on in the 70s. 60s. But 60s, it's still in 70s, the reruns. Yep. Yeah. I love it. So, Lori, discuss AVTCP a little bit. The skills list, I, I'm I'm very interested to hear about the requirements, how many members of the academy you have now, brag on the academy a little bit, just kind of talk about all that for a bit. Sure. So AVCPT, and yes, the initials, the letters just get mixed up sometimes, but going into it, so preparing that candidate packet, and when I when I started, because uh, I, I was, you know, it was brand new, and I will say I was looking at it like, oh, this is this wonderful application. And then after a <laughs> while, it was maybe this stupid application. And then after a while, there were a couple mm-hmm. other adjectives in front of it. <laughs> but I learned, learned so much. I, you know, there were so many things that I didn't know. I didn't know, but I learned during that process. So part of it was, you know, I don't want to say easy, but so first of all, you have to have 4,000 hours of lab work, essentially. So for me, that wasn't a problem. For other people, they get it, you know, they figure out, okay, I work uh, 20 hours a week in a lab, and they add it up that way. But 4,000 hours, 40 credits of CE in ClinPath. Now, that can be strictly somebody lecturing on, you know, how to do a blood smear. But it can also be, if you're talking about certain diagnostics, and you're talking about, you know, how to diagnose the diabetic cat, a lot of that has to do with your laboratory work. So that's included in there. 
Then there's then there's things like you have to have you know 50 CBCs, 25 chemistries, uh, like another 25 UAs, and then there's another skill list that will have additional things on there, like your micro work and your fecals and you know different skills, cytologies. Can you do a joint tap? Mm-hmm. Have you or have you worked with you know assisting with a joint tap? different things like that. And then after you get all that, then there's also your case reports, which are, that was actually for me, one of the hardest because you had to follow an animal from start to finish. And because where I work, I didn't see a lot of the animals. So I had to ask a lot of the people, the other techs working there, hey, if there's an animal coming in that looks like it might be interesting for hematology or chemistry or UA, let me know so that I can get the sample and I can follow it all the way through. So then you're writing those reports and it's it's an interesting process because you can't be verbose. You have to keep it to, I, I think it's 1200 words. So you really have to figure out what you wanna say, what is important and get that information across as succinctly as possible. So you have the case reports, you have to write up all your SOPs, which that was another one of, oh my goodness, we do so many you know different <laughs> procedures in our lab. So I have about a three inch binder now of SOPs, but they come in handy because we're a 24 hour lab. And you know sometimes you need to find out Okay, does this dog have microfilaria and how to do a knots test? Well, we've got the SOP right there and somebody can do it. Maybe they wait for the next day, but they can do it overnight if they need to. So that's a big thing. And then it's also the letters of recommendation, a couple other forms. You have to, you know, document all your CE. You have to document your um, certification and that you went to an accredited school so it can be a, a long or short process, depending. And like I said, for me, getting 25 CBCs was, okay, so after the second day, then what do I do? But So I could get a lot of them in, in yeah. a short amount of time. But that yeah. was that's the nature for me. As far as right now, we have about a dozen members. We are a small academy. And the first uh, credentialing exam was in 2014. So since then, we've only had one, maybe two people taking the exam a year that everybody has passed on the first try, and usually they've passed on the second. So it is a small group. And, you know, like I said before, a lot of people don't like lab work. And then having somebody that just wants to do this or to specialize in this, The other thing is there was a comparison recently that veterinarians who specialize in the same area is one of the smaller specialties. There's not as many as, you know, internists or things like that. So it parallels that. So after you complete your application, send all that in, then you get to take the exam and then, you know, the exam is scored. So I've I've actually passed president now of the ABCPT, so I've been on both sides. I've been that person waiting for the results, and okay, they <laughs> said two months, and it is you know one one day to go. When am I going to get those results back? But then I've also been on the other side now, so I've seen you know getting all the information because we have to submit 
candidates have to submit their their slides. So they submit the slides, somebody looks at them, takes pictures, send that around, and then we'll have a couple of meetings where we'll go over the application. And now we're checking the CBCs and the chemistries, you know, just to make sure that everything makes sense. We're looking at their case reports. Does it make sense what they did collecting the sample, how they collected the sample? Are they doing the right QA, QC? Do they have all the SOPs that they reference? You know, do they have how to calibrate a refractometer in there or something like that? So there's a lot of work when you're checking those uh, packets, the, the candidate applications. So there is a lot of work that's involved. So that's why it takes those two full months yeah. till you get your answer. And then I've also been pre-COVID, I was at one of the places where we gave the exam. So it was interesting to see on that other side, giving the exam and having the candidates there. And then we could grade some stuff while we were there. And then the rest of it had to be graded off site. Sure. Thing. So it is a, it's a longer process, but like I said, for me, it was well worth it. I learned so much and I continue to, to know that, oh, there's more out there to learn. So I'm one of those people that takes the extra CE and takes the extra courses. What 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 more can <laughs> right, I find right. out? So first thing I, I want to uh, clarify, I think I gave the wrong letters earlier. I just want to make sure I have it right. It's AVCPT, Academy of Veterinary Correct. Clinical Pathology Technicians. Okay. Correct. Okay. I'll have to make Correct. that edit. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So in there, you mentioned about the, the veterinary specialty being one of the smaller DVM specialties. Is there any kind of requirement working under a pathologist in this process? Do you have a pathologist at your lab? Anything along those lines? There is not a requirement to have a pathologist okay. uh, to be working under one. So your skills need to be signed off on. And those are things like, yes, I did the CBCs. I did this test. I did that test. I've done some micro. So those either can be signed off by a, a doctor or by another VTS. So you don't have to have a pathologist. And we do not have a pathologist at our okay. clinic at this point. So I do know of another one in the area, an emergency center uh, and referral center that has one. So there is one that we can, you know, if we need to access one. And nowadays, you know, you can take a picture of whatever it is you're looking at. And we've had doctors text their friends, hey, I just got this. What do you think this is? And, and go mm. from there. So there is some leeway in how to get those uh, skills gotcha. checked off. And then one other thing in there as well. So it sounds like to some degree sample collection is part of, of the process as far as skills list and what have you. So is that obtaining blood samples and urine samples, fecal samples, joint taps, those kinds of things? Yes. So that was part of it because part of the options that you can do is prepping a joint tap. And usually it's the doctor that actually does the joint tap, but you know, are you there? Did you prep okay. it? Did you, for like the, for bone marrow, did you work with the doctor? Did you prep it? Do this, do that. So yes. And so certainly with the cases, they want, the Academy wants you to draw the sample, whether it's blood or urine, collect the feces so that you know exactly what was done, was it done correctly and you can follow it. You're following the case from start to finish. Gotcha. So that, that's the important part. 
and I'm just trying to wrap my head around like the ideal candidate for something like this. You, you know, in my mind, I think back to that clinic that I worked at in New Hampshire where we had that shift of you were the lab tech that day. Uh, is there like a, a minimum requirement of the types of things that you would have to see in your clinic to actually go for this? Like I'm thinking the the general practice I worked at, we did heartworm tests, we did urine samples, we did fecals, CBCs, chemistries, and that's about it. Is Is that something where – like if I was in that position, could I apply for that? Or is there not enough there for me to actually meet the requirements? You could probably get most of your application from from that. But we also state that you can go to another clinic to, mm-hmm. to get other testing done. So if, you're, if your clinic doesn't run urines, you know, you mm-hmm. could go to another clinic and participate there probably wouldn't get paid for it, but you could job shadow and, and yeah. learn how to do it there. And that would, that could count. So that's always an option. Okay. And so that that's one way to do it. So there are different ways that you can get this done. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to think of like some of our listeners may just work in a general practice and, mm-hmm. you know, don't do Coggins tests. They don't do joint taps and things like that. I, I was just wondering if that'd be something that they could actually do, but it sounds like they can do that. They just have to maybe go a little bit extra to do something not necessarily in their clinic. Right. And the other part of it is we have, there's a certain amount of skills that you must do, CBCs, chemistry, mm-hmm. UAs. And right. then there's another set of 25 optional, I shouldn't say optional, 25 skills, but you have a choice of maybe 50. So if you don't do joint taps or progesterones, maybe there's something else on your list that can be done. Mm -hmm. So there are different options. And we have a lot of the candidates will submit a test. Hey, we do, and I'm trying to think of an example and can't, but we do this test and it's not on our list, but then we'll look at it and we're like, oh, Okay, well, that's a new test out there. So, yes, that would count as one of your supplemental lists. So, mm-hmm. sometimes it's just also the communication back and forth between the candidate and the academy of what, you know, what counts, what can we do? Hey, I have this problem or this opportunity. Can we, you know, can this work? So, we are mm-hmm. certainly flexible with that because we know that veterinary medicine is changing constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yep. Um, so how do you see the future of ClinPath as, as it relates to veterinary technicians? Is this going to be a growing thing or are we, is it a slow path to that? Or, or where do you see us, us going with this? I do see it, it. It's it's a slow growing field. I will say that. However, I think as more techs that are out there develop their ClinPath skills, maybe get a VTS, maybe don't, but they develop them and the doctors can see that this is really helping their practice, that it will become more important and more popular. So, for instance, years ago, technicians weren't fully utilized by the doctors. And now, you know, we have doctors that have two different rooms and they'll bring one animal in there and the tech starts working on that animal and they, you know, okay, start doing this on this one. And then another tech is working on the other one. So the techs are fully utilized. And so I think and I hope that that's what will happen in the future. You know, when when I started at, at QBC, like I said, I was the only dedicated lab tech. Now we have three other full times and three part times working there. So it that alone has grown and the hours that we man the lab has grown. 
So it's slowly, slowly, but I think there are opportunities. And once again, you know, for human medicine, you go somewhere and they're like, okay, we'll take your bloods, your, your labs, and we'll call you in a couple of days. Well, we're talking an hour and yeah. we have the results. Yeah. So that is nice. I mean, we can have clients wait for their lab results if they want to find out, you know, is their T4 level high? Do any different meds or stuff like that? So there's a lot of good that can come of that. And I think as more and more techs are interested and more and more doctors see the benefits, it'll just, it, it can grow a little bit quicker. I'm curious what kind of growth or, or change you've already seen in your time in, in this position that you're doing, it, it, whether it be in terms of machinery or, or, you know, new tests that have come to light, or is there one big thing over the last few years that you've been doing that, doing this, that you've thought like, wow, this is a game changer? Well, certainly all the instrumentation has gotten faster, more accurate, and a lot of times the footprint is smaller. Mm. Now, years ago, we used to have somebody that would do chemistries by hand. So they had to have all the chemical reactions lined up and then they'd, you know, by noon they had a, the blood had to be in and then she would run them. So that took a long time. Now we can have chemistry results in about 20 minutes. So that part is is great. And then because a lot of the instruments are very easy to use, you can have the emergencies or the overnights and you can still get lab work done by somebody because the training is not all that difficult for some of those machines. And we have a wet chemistry machine that gets a little pristine sometimes. <laughs> so, you know, we're careful with that one, but that's not run overnight. So that's, that's been interesting. I know that there are some instruments out there that will read fecal samples and that will read urine samples so there's a lot of different possibilities, like they'll use facial recognition for those. So those have a lot of potential. You know, one thing, it's silly, but we have a UA strip reader that when we first got it, I thought it was sort of silly. And, you know, <laughs> it's easy to read a dipstick. This is not hard, but it eliminated the analytical errors and the post-analytical errors. And that alone was like, oh, this is sort of nice. So... That's been nice. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, we have a big emulite that will do a lot of the um, progesterone and cortisol, things like that. But even now, uh, different companies are developing smaller footprints on machines so that more and more companies, clinics can have them. So I guess the, the short answer there is just the amount of instruments that are out there and that they're making them easier to use while still keeping the results accurate. And I think also that they're making them more available to, I don't want to say the general public, but, but some of those machines that we're talking about were only in labs and right. now, now we're having them be in, in practices now. So I think that that's helped out a lot too. Yeah. Tabletop, bedside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of those instruments were based on human instruments. So, you know, one of the first wet chemistry machines we had, you know, you you had to figure out how to get the normals in there for mm -hmm. the different species that we dealt with. Well, now they are making instruments strictly for veterinary work. 
So now all the normals are in there and they are figuring out how to deal with llama blood, which has, you know, RBCs that are elliptical or oval and, and avian and stuff like that. So, yeah, it has come down from the reference lab and it is a lot easier to, mm. to have it in your in your place. So, Laurie, as we get more towards our hour and start start to wind down, is there anything that we haven't touched on today or anything that you want to get out to our caffeinators before we go? Try it. You'll like it. You know, <laughs> you a go. lot of people don't like it because... They're scared of it. They don't do it often. And when I'm teaching, a lot of the kids are like, wow, this is really cool. I mean, it, it the first differential that they do is just painful. <laughs> and I tell them that because it's just, you mean I have to count 100 white cells? So, but then the second one they do goes a lot quicker. So the more you do it, it a lot of people get used to it. Not everyone, but just trying it and, and seeing what you can do. We'll go a long way. Absolutely. Is there a person or topic um, that you would like to see us interview or talk about on a future episode of the Vet Tech Cafe? I haven't thought of one. Okay. Um, That's okay. I, yeah. I mean, I can think of, uh, we have a lot of great techs, and but I haven't thought of a particular one. No so, problem. If you do. Short answer is yes. Yeah, send it, it, send it our way. Yeah. <laughs> I will. All right. And now we are down to your would you rather question. Are you ready for it? Uh, uh-oh. Sure. <laughs> okay. As a lab technician, I think this one's kind of right up your alley. So would you rather never be able to wash your hands again or never be able to wash your hair again? Oh, <laughs> but I could wash my hands while I'm washing my hair. <laughs> I'd like to, you know, try to do it both ways. That's the creativity um, of a vet tech. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I think I'd really like to be able to wash my hands. Um <laughs> I can always put my hair up in a bun. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and we wear gloves sometimes and yeah, I'd still like to be able to wash my hands. <laughs> Jeff, I know your answer to that. <laughs> yeah. I, once you go bald, you never go, you never go back. I, I don't have to wash hair, so I can always just stick with my hands. So I'm good there. <laughs> Well, Lori, thank you very much for uh, for taking some time out to come by the Vet Tech Cafe today and talk about all things ClinPath. I, I that was fascinating, and I'm stoked to hear your academy growing and um, all the cool things that you guys are doing. So, thank you very much. We really appreciate your time. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, caffeinators, you guys take care, and we'll see you again at the cafe again soon. Bye, guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, 
business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website, www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.